Kia ora tato, no mai harimai. Wade Manson here from Sport Gisborne Tairawhiti, and you're listening to our podcast, The Sideline Yak. Na mihi mahana kia koutou katoa. Warm greetings to you all. No mai hoki mai. Welcome back Fano to the Sideline Yak, a self-proclaimed world best sport podcast of Tairawhiti where we comb through the hairy matters of our sporting world. What an awesome response we had to our first episode and we are super excited to now have our second one ready to share. We can actually call this a series now. If you need more of an intro feel free to listen to episode one with Amber Church. Or if you are becoming a Yak fan, then share this out Farno far and wide so everyone can enjoy this corridor. Kapai. Today on the show, we're talking to local surfing sage and coach Florian Bubb, or Flo as he is more commonly known. All those lessons are really valuable as long as you stay kind of open-minded and, and look for opportunities. It's all about opportunities and, and grabbing those Flo has called Turanga Gisborne home for the last seven years after leaving his Bavarian hometown for the Kiwi surfing lifestyle. Flo was a former champion ski racer competing on the international stage for Germany. A career-ending knee injury changed the course of his life and from there he moved into the financial sector working as a bond trader and managing stock portfolios. Upon moving to Gisborne, he took up the role of regional development manager with the Gisborne Boardwriters and still holds that role today. Recently, he has joined Poverty Bay Rugby Union on contract as the club development manager. Today, Flo reflects on how his parents influenced his passion for sport. We chat about the impact of his knee injury and how he was able to reflect and find a positive way forward. We take a look at the finer details of coaching, how finding your why can help guide you in life, using reflection as a tool so you don't miss out on important learnings, and what a good mentor can look like. Flo's positive outlook on life is infectious. There are always opportunities in life, and we are truly grateful to have had this opportunity to have a yak with Flo. Kara fewer. Let's go. Welcome to the show, Flo. Awesome to have you here. Before we start, I'm just going to test out my third form German. Um, guten Tag. Yeah. Wie geht's? Sehr good. <laughs> Sehr good. Nice. Cool. Oh, well, that's good. Um, my gate is so good. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Brilliant. Awesome. Thanks, mate, for coming on. Appreciate you being here. Let's just kick off. Talk us through your origin story. Where have you come from um, and what did you do when you were younger? Yeah. Um, first of all, Wade, thanks for having me. It's my first ever podcast, so big pleasure because I'm listening to a lot of podcasts, but it's awesome doing one myself. Uh, originally, I'm from Germany, grew up in Bavaria. Um, my dad taught me all sorts of sports, tennis, uh, soccer, um, then big time into uh, skiing and a bit of mountain biking. I pursued the skiing, had my first ski race when I was four years old, progressed further and further. It became a really big passion and went to board, uh, sports boarding school and then, yeah, made it to the national team uh, just uh, before I kind of yeah blew my knee out in a good old skiing accident and downhill um, and that ended kind of my time in, in the national team and my skiing career and we decided as a family kind of to focus on on other aspects of life and um, save my knee for for better days. Nice. 
So just looking at your skiing, age four, you were skiing competitively. Mm. Correct. What, what what does that look like? Yeah, I wouldn't call it competitively, but um, yeah, there were gates. Like we had a uh, a race. Um, that was my first ever race. Um, yeah. My uh, sister took uh, part in it as well. She had my mom skiing in front of her. And um, when the finish line came, my mom had to go on the right side, obviously not going through the finish line. And it took my sister probably half a minute to um, to make sense of it all and, and go through the finish line by herself. So it was quite a, a funny story I remember from those days. But yeah, there was kind of grassroots sport. Nice. So it's quite family oriented oriented like with your mum and your dad obviously quite heavily involved were they like always encouraging you guys to mm. to ski yeah they like heavily involved in all sorts of sports I in hindsight I probably can tell that my sport uh, I'm a bit coming after my dad so lots of energy lots of passion so I think he saw that early on and and put me into lots of sport right. and made sure I, I get rid of all that energy and that I'm a happy kid and and can kind of was able to sleep well. Nice, cool. And then age 15, you're representing Germany. Were there any achievements or highlights around that, like in terms of at that age or, or like competing nationally? Yeah, definitely throughout those four years. Um, in skiing, it's a bit different because you start kind of with those fist races where you, like from 15 years onward, you compete against everyone. So it's kind of open. And I had a couple of um, yeah, podium finishes in, in that age group. And then, um, yeah, was beating some some guys who made it eventually to the World Cup and won World Cups um, that were three years older than, than me, which is a big deal in, a, in those teenage years. And I was uh, top three in my year in the world in multiple disciplines. And, yeah, that, that all of that taught me a lot and, and gave me a lot of, yeah, inspiration and something to look forward to. But... Those were kind of, yeah, the highlights. Nice. And then you, you mentioned your knee injury, age 19. How did that impact you? I think it was a massive impact. Looking back, uh, I only realized probably two or three years later, I, I went into a massive hole, like a black hole almost. Um, I didn't do much partying and drinking when I was in my teenage years. Everything was scheduled, like in preparation season. We had training nine times a week and... Uh, all your trips away were scheduled. Everything was paid for from when I was 15, like all hotels, um, ski sponsors, everything. The sports sporting school was supported by the German system. And out of sudden you have your injury and there's no plans, nothing planned. And uh, looking back on it, it was quite a sad time of my life, but it probably taught me the most. Um, and that's also when... I met my future wife and all of that. So there's lots of positives in it. Um, but it took me a few years to get over those those couple of months and, and the heartbreak of kind of losing your hopes of making a Olympic team or skiing at the Olympics or world champs or yeah, any any anything like that. Yeah. Interesting, like what was your support network like? Like obviously with your family there and obviously you met your future wife as well. Like what what did your support network look like and, and how did they help you? Um, yeah, definitely my family and uh, my wife, Simi, they were a big part in, and good friends were a big part in it. But it's an uh, age where you all, it's all about partying and living free and doing stuff you like to be doing. And I feel I, I pretended a lot that I'm okay as well. Or I, I probably was okay at times, but when you had a, 
those moments by yourself or when you partied a bit harder and the next day you realized, hey, you feel a bit lonely and a bit lost. And um, yeah, it's just, I think I could, in hindsight, I could have opened up a bit more and talk about it, but I didn't. And um, yeah, I figured it out. It took me a bit longer, but I got there eventually. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm like sort of <laughs> digging a little bit deep on this one. When you figured it out, what what did you figure out? And how did you figure it out? Mm, good question. I think we have to backtrack probably even six or seven years earlier when I was 12 or 13. Um, there was a massive uh, skiing or gondola accident in the Alps. Um, about 200 people died in a, like a train that goes through the Alps and brings people up to a glacier. And like six of my best mates died there. And I kind of... That impacted me even more than my injury, probably in hindsight. But it also helped me when I got injured and I realized, hey, there's a lot of people who can't be here anymore and um, can't experience all of all of w- what we are experiencing every day, the beautiful, beautiful, our beautiful world. And um, it made me realize that there's more than skiing, more than sports. There's so much out there you can do, and I, I want to be grateful that I that I can still be here and I can challenge myself. I can um, pursue my dreams and kind of do whatever I feel like doing and and, um, and doing good in the world. And I mm. think that really, yeah, that, that time being injured um, helped me reflecting on that and, and why, I'm, why I'm here on earth still and, and why I want to do good stuff. That's huge. That's mm. massive. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a, um, yeah, that's a massive story. And yeah, sorry to hear about your mates and to know that like especially with the injury and then like moving forward there was that yeah opportunity to be able to reflect on things and mm-hmm. and yeah so thank you for sharing that that's massive so coming out of skiing so 19 and you're moving forward what what did that look like and, and where did you head what direction did you head yeah so I think uh, again I was heavily influenced by my dad he always wanted to make sure we had a good education and uh yeah I set up for life and all of that so I ended up um choosing between medicine and uh banking and i decided after a little um a, little, a few days in hospital and seeing all the different departments i thought ah oh, that's not quite for me so i decided to uh, pursue the banking career and i uh, started an apprenticeship in a bank in frankfurt went into the financial district there and um after the apprenticeship the the bank kind of saw potential in me and they sponsored me a um my education or like uh, my studies in a private school on the weekend. So I worked four to five days a week on the trading floor, trading um, um, bonds and studied on the weekend. And yeah, that was my my time until 2027, 20, 28 with a short stint in Hawaii where I studied abroad for half a year which uh, was pretty epic because a lot of my mates uh, studied full-time. So they, in the German system, you study, you study the whole year, but you got two times, two and a half, three months off. So you're pretty much on vacation for six months of the year. And I never had that, and I w- always wanted to go uh, and uh, be able to surf a bit more. So one of the universities was Hawaii Pacifics, and I said to my parents and and the bank, um, I want to go there and kind of uh, experience the, the good life in Hawaii for half a year. <laughs> Our roads are heading towards surfing at the moment, but mm. um, was that probably, like, were you surfing 
before heading to Hawaii or are you doing that beforehand? Yeah, so um, again, my dad was big into windsurfing. And so he took us, he saved up all his money uh, during the year, didn't uh, spend too heavily on stuff, but always saved up for a trip to Hawaii. So I spent a lot of uh, um, summers over there and went windsurfing with him. And whenever there was no wind, we would go um, like snorkeling or would go surfing. Um, and that's where I got started with surfing and bodyboarding. Um, and then also after my entry, I was kind of had a six, nine months around the world a little bit and did three months in Australia where I surfed a lot. And then during my banking time, I also continued surfing. That's kind of how it all, how it all started. Nice. Cool. And you're managing a stock portfolio as well. Yeah. On the side, I'm managing a stock portfolio. That's right. Um, that's quite a big thing. Like, and, and with people like obviously giving you money, bringing money in and you had to manage the money for them and, there's that whole factor around risk and then obviously knowing what you're what you're talking about and, and where you're heading with it as well. So are you able to just share with us a little bit about that? Or? Yeah, totally. The portfolio is still running uh, on the side. I still, it, it went up to 2 million New Zealand dollars, like not a huge wow. portfolio, but no, it's still, still uh, quite <laughs> a money. bit of uh, money uh, from friends and family involved. I think why I kept on doing it was because I learned so much and still learning so much about myself. The stock market or bond market, financial market in general, they keep you pretty honest and on your feet because you can't make any excuses and you can't hide. And it's either green or red. And it also, yeah, it shows all your weaknesses and all your strength. And uh, I like to work on myself and it's a good tool to, yeah, keep me on my toes, keep me humble and, um, yeah, keep improving. Nice. And then so from Hawaii... I think there was somewhere I read like your perspective of life changed. A really interesting statement and, and love for you to share with um, the listeners. Yeah, so when I came back from Hawaii, it was quite, quite eye-opening for me what I want in life um, because I went back into my office. I went back for another two years, but I started to realize all the people are not really happy in here. They got heaps of money. They got all the toys you can imagine. Um, they can do all the things they love to be doing. Nah, they don't have a lot of time usually, but you would just step into an elevator and go up to into the skyscraper and go up to your office and you see that people weren't happy. They were super sad and you asked what they're getting up to in the weekend and not much happened other than drinking or going to the opera or seeing a soccer game or something. There was not a lot of excitement. And I'm generalizing here that there are people who are happy, but it's just a feeling that I had. And I feel at that time I felt like I, that's not what, I wanting, what I'm wanting to do. And I saw my, looked forward and I saw myself like 10, 15 years later and I didn't want to be there. Mm. Uh, so... Yeah, I pretty much sat down and, and was a bit... In November, it's quite dark and rainy and not really nice in Germany. So I sat down and, and wrote down on a piece of paper what I want in life and what I value and, and made a plan where I can achieve that and what yeah, what brings me joy and um, where I'm at my best. And, and that brought me back to sport and nature and outdoors and um, the mountains or uh, closer to the sea and... Um, yeah, and, and New Zealand, Hawaii, and Spain was on the list. <laughs> and uh, Spain was tricky at that time because uh, still the economy was pretty bad. And there was I 
I had Spanish in school, but I, yeah, I couldn't really speak it and it was the language barrier. Hawaii was tricky to get in with the green card. I applied for green card multiple times, but was always unlucky. Yeah. And, um, New Zealand, yeah, um, was easy to get into with a work and holiday visa. And I've been here two years earlier on a boys trip surfing. And I love the people and I love nature and, and, and the people's perspective on life. And yeah, that got me attracted. Nice. The big question that probably everyone's wanting to know about is like, why Gisborne? <laughs> yeah, I, I get um, that asked a lot. <laughs> I think Gisborne is an amazing place when you know it. Uh, if you're only here for three or four days, it's still nice, but you can't really see how good it is. And that's why it's called a chi trap or gizzy trap as well, I feel. Like the more time you spend here, the better it gets. Uh, and yeah, we had, we borrowed our camper van here from a good mate uh, and uh, went through New Zealand for four months, like two months South Island, two months North Island. And New Zealand, we put one mark uh, like across uh, where New Zealand sits on the map and uh, where we could see ourselves uh, living longer term or trying to find our feet here in New Zealand and had to return the camper van. And um, yeah, my wife, Simi, started applying for jobs as an architect and found a job straight away and the rest is kind of history. So we're here since seven years and yeah. Nice, nice. Well, it's been awesome having you here. Definitely like the things that you've been doing is, has been cool. I just want to touch on coaching a little bit when you moved here was that when you started to look at coaching or, or be involved in coaching or had you previously been involved in coaching before and no like i've been coached for 15 years probably prior but i've never i've never done any coaching myself i guess on that paper where i looked at where i can when I, where i can achieve my goals there was also things i value and i like to do and I wrote down just in one, like one word was coaching. Um, there was also being a travel agent or like supporting people on with their travels because I like adventure and outdoors and stuff. But yeah, coaching was on there and I never thought I would be coaching and surfing. But yeah, I saw myself doing some life coaching I thought, at that time because it's not a big thing for Kiwis, I guess, because Kiwis are really adaptable and open-minded and they change their careers all the time and and they're really embracing life, I feel. But in Germany, it's different. Like once you set your career path, at least when, when I grew up and I still, it's still the same to a degree, you are in that career path for most of your days, pretty much. And it's really hard to go into another, uh, pursue other things. And I thought I was pretty proud of myself making that move away from the money and looking at uh, what I really wanted in life and writing it down and then going after that. And I thought I could help people with that and just share the process and, and coach them through it. <laughs> and that how, yeah, that's why I wrote down coaching and what got me excited about coaching at that time. So life coaching obviously is what we were sort of wanting to head with it, but then like how, how did it move into the, the sports side of things? Yeah. So I think I was here, f yeah, a year or two in Gisborne and then the surfing development uh, position came up through Gisborne Board Riders and I applied for the role and had interviews and they asked me about coaching and I said, the only thing I can't do is coaching. Like I, I, I I'm happy to learn it, but that's, I haven't got any skills in coaching. I've been coached a lot, but I, yeah, that's a big weak spot and I, I was totally honest about it and open and I said, I'm keen to learn, but. 
um, yeah, I have to do some more work on myself to be able to do that. And uh, yeah, I got just got started through my role, coached um, entry level little rippers and surfing six to ten year olds, and then moved my way up. And um, yeah, I've been enjoying it ever since. And I think I did my first session in two thousand eighteen, so over five years ago. Cool. You just explained you've you've got the job at Gisborne Board Riders, which is where you still are today. When you came into Board Riders, there was quite a big change, I think, within the first year or two, and you got everybody in, and we and you talked around basically the culture and moving like where the whole club wanted to go and how they wanted to get there, and from that came Share the Stoke. What does Share the Stoke mean to the Board Riders Board Riders Club? Actually, if you could talk around the process of like mm-hmm. potentially how you got to that that part with the with the club. Yeah, I think after three weeks, I was really frustrated as a manager because I had that huge list of things I had to do, but I couldn't get a quorum in my in our committee meetings to sign off on funding applications or anything else. I uh, was wanting to do like we had 12 people on the committee at that time and four showed up to meetings and the finances were pretty bad and yeah nothing really worked and I said to the president at that time hey um, I have to call a I, I can't really say that word in on our podcast but I am um, F no meeting <laughs> and we got all in a room and we figured it out and from there I kind of asked for help through Ray at that time at Sport Gisborne working on our why and starting on a top level approach like why do we exist and where do we want to go and um, he facilitated that uh, process uh, with that or inspired by Simon Sinek around the golden circle uh, starting with why and um, so not communicating with what we do like not around our surf competitions or no horse up the coast or whatever it is um, but starting with why we do all those things and then we work through our house so how we want to work together and how we operated our best. And the why process was really interesting. We were maybe 12, 15 people, uh, a wider committee. And uh, really Ray facilitated it and got got us sharing kind of our best memories, good stories around why people have been involved in the club and why they're proud about it and all of that. And we put nailed it down to a few words and stuff. And then I think at that time it was Nikki Horseman I'm quite right. And she said, ah, that looks all about sharing the stoke. And we all looked at her and thought that's right. Uh, And a stoke is only a a feeling that only a surfer knows. And it's, yeah, it's about excitement. It's when you come out of the surf and and you have a big smile on your face. It can be spiritual at times. And um, as a club, we want to share that. And it moved us away from the pure competitive side which only really caters for 5 or 10% of, of surfers. Um, and we reached out to the wider community and we are now operating from, not operating, I would call it, but we are helping people from Mahia to Hicks Bay. Yeah, it, it all changed and it made our decisions easier and it made our committee meetings better. It yeah made everything better all around and we attracted more sponsors, more funders, more people who wanted to help us and um, we're still on that journey. Nice. When you talk about make things better, like can you just share a few stories perhaps of some of the things that you have done? Like I know you've done a massive amount of work up the coast. You've also done a lot of projects here in town, like just changing the face of surfing in terms of 
just the inclusivity of everyone coming on board and and just being a part of it now like doesn't matter if you know how to surf or you do know how to surf there is a entry point for almost every single person are there any that probably stand out quite a bit for you or that you're most proud of uh, or even the club that's most proud of that you could share yeah totally i guess it start all started with our container at midway beach so the club hasn't had a clubhouse since the 1990s when the clubhouse was at the skate park and it was all around parties and all that. And it sounded like an amazing time. But in 2020, 2018, when I started, there was no way we could have a place at the skate park and have massive parties and all of that because times have changed and health and safety has changed. But I wanted to get to a clubhouse or a hub as close as we can get. So I came up with the idea of putting a container at Midway Beach, targeting kind of at-risk um, youth, but also other people who um, don't have the access to surfing and, and the beautiful surroundings we got, the beaches and waves. From there, kind of, we took the success we had there and we started surfing for farmers there and we did the moms or women's on waves and we run a women's program now. We did, did adaptive surfing here. That was all on the community side and the community side grew more and more and we applied for a lot of funding and asked for help around the coast. So we put up containers at um, Tokomaru Bay, Vaipiro Bay and Hicks Bay after we've been up there for two years and shared our knowledge and upskilled and um, have got now a couple of hubs up there. Now we're going to put a container, the one from Midway, we're going to donate to the Mahitian Wave Warriors down in Mahia. Uh, and we also donated our old trailer because there has been a new building um, or there's a new building, uh, the Midway facility um, will start, it will kick off in October or November and we are lucky enough that we got a space in there, like a storage space downstairs and we're going to get an office upstairs and that will be our new hub. That's sort of the community side and I think on the performance side we also improved we won club of the year the nationals in 2021 with outstanding success with Sefi Vidi and Finn Vidi and some of our senior surfers and longboarders uh, that's amazing achievement and I feel just bringing everyone together no matter what board they're riding no matter if they're competitive or non-competitive everyone seems to be helping each other and that community comes together because we all want the same for ourselves, but also for the kids that are coming through. And um, I feel that's the biggest achievement of the club is bringing all those people together. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's obviously all around your why of uh, well, the board riders' why of share the stoke. Yeah. You probably know this question is coming. What's your why? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> and I reflected a lot on that. Oh, I've done a lot of work on myself and uh, the last two years I feel because I always make that joke uh, when you have a good dentist or good doctor or good um, personal trainer quite often they smoke or have really bad uh, eating habits or are really unfit <laughs> and I don't want to be that person so I looked at myself and really what it comes down to myself uh, for myself is I want to inspire others and help others to uh, live to their full potential. What does full potential mean or what's everyone's potential? I feel that it comes, it's subjective and it comes down to each and everyone, but it doesn't matter if someone wants to be a good piano player, a good rugby player, a good surfer or a good human being. Uh, I feel 
it's awesome if they they live up to that and and they can fulfill their dreams. I feel that's a big one, and it comes back to my friends in the past when they because they're not here anymore. I feel they can't live to their potential, and I learned that's a big thing for me. Why I get out of bed? There's no question I'm getting out of bed. I want to get better, and I want to inspire others to get better and and be their best. Nice. I heard you say like getting better. Like, what does what does getting better look like for you? Getting better for me is like when I look back on my day and I feel like I've achieved something and moved in the right direction. I challenged myself and I, I kind of pursued my goals, but also yeah, just little adjustments. When I I reflect at night and I thought, oh, I could have done that a little better, and that's my action for the next day. And then looking back again and seeing, hey. Have I achieved that? Did I, for example, listen a bit better to people, or yeah, did I eat better, or whatever is is whatever your goal is? Just being able to look at yourself and and reflect on: Have you improved towards your goals, or are you stuck, or are you going backwards? Yeah, it's, I suppose it's similar to that one percent, eh? Like that, if you're improving one percent each time, you're gonna you're yeah, hundred percent. It's all yeah. gonna add up. How does your why? guide you like your your work and and life how does it shape that i think the why hopefully guides me in everything i do but i also wrote down kind of or i did that since 2016 when i first decided to move to new zealand i started writing a mission statement it's not long but it's a page and it it's kind of a work in progress but i look at it um quite regularly and I write down who I want to be, um, what my goals are, when I'm at my best, and kind of, yeah, what I want to achieve and do in my life, and and what my values are pretty much. And I feel my why guides me a lot, but I, I also think my values guide me a lot. So when I have to make tough decisions, or not so tough decisions, but when I, I'm overwhelmed, I kind of look at my values and I look at my why and I think I reflect on is does that align or does it not align? And quite often it doesn't align and it allows me to say no more often and um work towards yeah, work work better towards my true north kind of. Do you feel our our whys change over time? Personally I think our wives don't really change unless we haven't found our true why. Mm. I guess our wives come from kind of, yeah, the years in our childhood, teenage years, and it's quite often subconscious. And most people are not aware of their wives, I feel. And even my why, it might slightly change in the wording and stuff. And it's sometimes hard to find the right words. Like, it's way easier to feel when everything aligns and you feel good about stuff and and also you feel when stuff doesn't align. And so I feel the wording can change slightly or you find better words or nail it down a bit more precise, but that your true why doesn't change. Where maybe your values, like your core values probably stay the same, but you might, when we get older, have we value other stuff probably. You might have value more safety or more time as a you know family or stuff you might not have in your early 20s yeah yeah that was well said so as a coach is this something that you feel um definitely if they haven't got one they should be looking into or like what do you think there i think having your why is super important but it's also 
a tricky one because it's so deep and it's so tricky to find at times that it's overwhelming and people don't get started. So I encourage people to just get started and write down their best moments in life or when they felt really good and when it was things they've, uh, they're feeling proud about, stuff they've done in the past. And yeah, just starting that that process rather than thinking, oh, what's my why? I need to nail it down in a sentence. It's too hard at times. And as a coach, I feel your coaching philosophy, which links to your why or like your philosophy or who you want to be as a coach and knowing yourself, your strengths and weaknesses is super important. So to answer your question, it doesn't need to be like a perfect why in a sentence, but knowing about who you want to be as a coach and what are your strengths and where you need help with is, is super important. Perfect. That's like, I was heading, the next question was going into philosophies and stuff like that, but you pretty much nailed it. It's like like looking at the difference of a why and the philosophy. But as you say, if you can like nail down what type of coach you want to be, the values around that, I think that's quite important. And then from there, that's almost starting the process of where you're heading for your um, what your why would be. Mm. Yeah, nice. You've mentioned quite a bit throughout our conversation around reflection. And I know you quite well in terms of that's a massive part of who you are. How has it shaped you? Mm, I think it links back to what we talked about earlier and, and my why kind of wanting to get better because I feel quite often in life we make plans, we do the action part, and then we make plans again and do the action part or just continue the action part without really reflecting on what has worked, what hasn't worked, what can we do better, what can we do different. So quite often we're missing all the learning which comes out of the reflection process and it's super important to reflect and taking the time to sitting still and do a bit of deeper thinking and ask, asking you some questions uh, and figuring out if you're on the right path kind of with your program or with your life or whatever you're trying to do. Um, and especially nowadays, it's so tricky to find that space and time to kind of sit still because our default mode is, kind, mode is kind of, yeah, grabbing our iPhone or our, our phones and just, yeah, going through social media and we're tired and we're not, you know, we're not reflecting and, and having those breaks. And that, that's super important. Have you got any stories around or any tips that our listeners could, that you could share with them around what self-reflection could look like? I guess I, I went to a lot of high-performance board coaching workshops the last few months. And they taught us a lot around the intrapersonal and interpersonal knowledge, not so much about the technical or tactical knowledge of our sport. But our my mentor there or like the facilitator I look up to, he shared a model. It's called 3-2-1 reflection. And that, that's guiding me the last couple of months where you look at three things you learned today, um, two things you're more curious about, and one thing you like to action tomorrow or in your next coaching practice. Um, that's something I like to do. Uh, if you want to keep it more simple, you can just use the uh, what do I keep doing, stop doing, and, and start doing. I like to do it on paper because you can go back to it and then I kind of take those highlights out for me at the end of the month and kind of put them in a little in a little place where I can revisit them. But you, if you don't have the time, just do it on your way home from work or on, on your way home, like on a bike ride or whenever you've got time and do it in your own head and yeah, if you have some highlights, write them down. Is it important to share 
in terms of your reflections and just having that somebody to bounce ideas off or when you self-reflect are you quite happy just to do it yourself go through the process i think that comes down to everyone individually and what they prefer but i think it can be really eye-opening to share especially to share with your family at times or with your work colleagues or with your mentor your boss um because for me, communication and honesty are, are two big things and they're key to kind of get better or make everyone a bit more comfortable in in how we interact with each other. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm big on sharing, but it's not for everyone. <laughs> nice. You mentioned the mentor. How important is a mentor in a coach's life? I think it's super crucial, but it's not always easy to find. Mm. So I... I feel like good mentor presents itself, like they say in those books. And it's really true. And I haven't had a lot of mentors, but the ones I had were really awesome. There's no point in looking for one. Like you can look for one, like keep your eyes open. But I feel like you can't like track one down or chase one. Like it's not, it will happen or it won't. But when you're ready, it kind of, the person will, will present itself and he will share stuff with you and make you better. Mm. what does good look like for you in terms of a mentor somebody who listens well uh who's caring like cares for me as a person who wants my best but also holds me accountable when i'm doing stuff not the right way or i could be better and um who who's guiding me and supporting me when i'm struggling that's good and I suppose the other thing with mentors is that they don't have to be within your world as well, like your sporting world or whatever. Mm. It can come from other areas in life that can potentially mm. help as well. Do you have a mentor at the moment or mentors? I feel, I wish I had one. Like I feel from the high performance program I'm doing at the moment, that's a multi-year coaching program. There is somebody or one of the facilitators, he's called Potsy. I would see as my mentor and I... Um, I asked him for help and guidance uh, in between our workshops and when we had lunch breaks and stuff, but we haven't agreed on a formal mentorship as such. And I think, yeah, it, it's not as as deep as it could be and it could go anywhere, but I feel that's kind of the next person I could pick up and, and learn a lot from. But yeah, other than that, there's heaps of people I, yeah, kind of, get bits and pieces of good information and learnings. Everyone got their strength and yeah. Nice. I'm just unpacking this a bit more because it's a cool conversation around like what does a mentor look like? Uh, we've just done a, a big coach survey, Voice of the Coach, and quite a lot, like we haven't obviously got the insights out there at the moment, but quite a lot of coaches that have filled out that survey talked around when they first started coaching, they would have love to have somebody there to support them and help them and basically that mental role if you were to go what would be your process in terms of trying to ask somebody for that help or whether it's like asking to be a mentor or even just going and asking for help how would you sort of start that process what would you some tips that you could share with others mm, i think being open and honest and um admitting that you're struggling and being a bit vulnerable and saying, hey, I've, I've tried those things and being proactive and having tried a few things, like not always asking for help straight away and kind of getting everything delivered on a golden plate, but saying, hey, I'm really um, struggling here. I tried 
those programs and they're kind of working, but stuff is not working? Have you got some insights and experience? And and quite often, sometimes once you've found a mentor or somebody you share stuff with, you don't even need to ask formally. It, it just happens and they're going to know at one point that, that you need some support and help. And it feels really rewarding to be a mentor as well, I guess, and share your expertise and be there for someone and see them progress and, and yeah, kind of live to their full potential, like we said before. I'm going to flip it again. <laughs> yeah. So I know that like I've come to you before with quite a few things and, and see you as a real awesome person to be able to ask questions. And so if you're like on the flip side, so a coach comes to you and this is for, this is cool to share out with everyone else. So there may be a coach out there that is approached by another coach asking for help. What's some tips or advice for those coaches that are going to potentially become either mentors or being able to offer advice? Mm, really good question. I feel the biggest piece of advice and what I learned that it's good to not always give advice. So sometimes people just want to have someone that listens to them so they feel heard and they can share some stuff and it's almost as a good mentor or coach it's important to listen deeply and then ask if the coach or the, the mentored person wants any help or wants any advice um, before jumping in and trying to fix stuff like we always try to almost cut people off half sentence and try to jump in with advice and stuff from our lives and stuff we learned but it's doesn't always apply to the mentored person and it's important to first get the whole picture and understand what support they need although you can offer more support they not they might not quite be ready for it and they might just need someone to listen to that's good advice great advice Career highlights, what would be your one career highlight that you could share? My one career highlight, that's a good question. <laughs> we could, if we had more time, we could be doing heaps, but <laughs> we'll uh, narrow it down to one. If you were to pick one. I picked one from the last half a year. So I was approached by different code, which was rugby, to work for them. And because I knew my why and my values and everything, I got to work for them and... I feel I'm in the role where I can add the most value and be able to support them as a contractor. But we also agreed on what I'm not good at and where I don't add value and where it's a waste of everyone's time. So kind of that's my highlight, being able to look at myself, knowing what I stand for, what I'm good at, and saying that out loud, even if it means I have to say it 30 times until somebody else gets it, or I have to repeat myself. But really knowing what I stand for, being confident in myself, humble, of course, and, and always learning, but knowing who I am and pursuing what I want and being okay if I don't get it. It's quite nice to hear that, like, even that skill set you're describing there, like how transferable it's from, from your financial and the lessons that you learned back when you were younger and stuff like that, like how it's all coming mm -hmm. together. It's, it's almost a synergy. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, that's coming back to my injury as well, or to my career-ending uh, knee injury. In hindsight, everything happens for a reason. And I guess that part took me probably 10, 15 years to realize. But everything, yeah, has happened and is happening for uh, 
something else like you there's no dead end like it's you can use all those skills you learned early in life to do some other stuff and then it's not wasted or it's not there's no all those lessons are really valuable as long as you stay kind of open-minded and and look for opportunities it's all about opportunities and, and grabbing those opportunities nice how has failure or apparent failure set you up for later success yeah, all, I think all the gold nuggets are in failure, but it's always hard to accept at that time, like when you're in that moment of failing. I learned my biggest lessons failing. It always took me a while to realize, but I, I didn't learn a lot from my success. I almost, almost the opposite. I, I, I tended to get arrogant or thought I'm the, I'm the, I'm the man. But I life taught me a few lessons that I that I'm not the man, and you should be you should be staying humble. And failure and injuries, and I just had another knee surgery, and it just gives you time to reset, uh, get rid of a few things physically, but also mentally, like narrow it down to what you really want, and you've got more time to reflect, and you're not so much in the doing, and it gives you a really good chance to look at yourself and figure out where to next in life. So all my injuries set me up for, yeah, a little change in direction and just really aligning your future plans with, with your why and your values and everything, your big dreams. Nice. Is there anything in the financial world when you're starting out that really helped you out, <laughs> that you've learned, like lessons learned? A big one is no excuses. Getting done or i shouldn't say that <laughs> i can do beat it out don't worry <laughs> <laughs> so yeah a big one is kind of no having no excuses um reflecting and analyzing and looking at your strengths and weaknesses and dealing with setbacks always having a plan but being able to adapt like when stuff doesn't go your way you need to have a a plan b or kind of a be able to change your plans and and staying open-minded is probably the biggest like in financial markets and in life everything can happen and we tend to go through life and thinking everything is kind of planned and we all got our looking ahead and we kind of probably know where we want to be in a year and but usually life doesn't happen like that it it always takes a different turn and being able to go with that and not getting frustrated and just getting on with it and doing with what we, what you love kind of and yeah and going with the yeah with the times and with the flow and with the feeling and yeah all the good stuff nice what does the future look like for you Flo in terms of sport and future goals or where you want to head with sport and mm. coaching and I since I came to New Zealand I stopped making too many long term plans. But in the last year, I realized it's all around, yeah, there's no pathway in coaching, um, I feel. It's all around grabbing those opportunities. And it's super scary when you write down stuff and you write down who you want to be or where you want to work or what you want to do. And quite often I look back and it, it comes to fruition in like six weeks or six months and you, wow, like you thought it's going to be happening two or, th two or three years. I definitely learned that I love the community side, but I I like the high performance side even more. So I would love to get more involved in high performance sport or helping helping teams and organizations to work at their absolute best and really strive for like 
work towards stuff. Um, it can be in a community sector as well, but I yeah, really like the high performance space. And I recently got approached by Sefi, who's going to the Olympics to um, work with her on a weekly basis, which is fantastic and being her rock and holding her accountable. And it's a massive opportunity for me to work with a fantastic athlete who's really self-aware but also implementing my learnings from my past and the systems we had back home, but also from yeah the recent high performance workshops I had and the learnings I had there. What are the, what are the things you're doing with Safi to help her get to the Olympics? Big one again, and we've just started working together like three weeks ago. But starting with like, why do you surf? Why do you compete? Um, what are your values? What are your goals? Um, writing down your mission statement. And then you keep looking at a yearly plan and figuring out what you really want. Because if you know that and she's done amazing work on that, then you can kind of, yeah, it, it really guides you and you can make better decisions and easier decisions. And um, it's that top level stuff we usually never really go to or don't go to often enough. But I feel it's hugely important and it's so fun once you've done it because you figure out more about yourself and you get to know yourself. And um, yeah, I hope uh, we have an awesome journey together and I can help her achieving her goals and in a small way, like being a small puzzle of the, her big kind of uh, team or, or a big piece towards the Olympics and her future career. Just touching on like working with Safi around her why and for coaches that are listening and even athletes that are listening, how how did you go through that process with her? How did you get her to share her why? Mm. I think we kept it simple. I learned that she likes like clarity and, and yeah, keeping it light and fun. And in coaching, we talk a lot around the athlete-centered approach or player-centered approach and I tried the approach many many times and I'm still uh, doing it so using a lot more pull than push but she really she was really self-aware and really awesome in kind of you are able to pull a lot of stuff but I also left it to her how the mission statement looks like and I expected whatever, half a page, quarter of page of something written down, which I would have done. But she did an amazing thing and used like things she likes around art and um, photos and stuff. So she made it quite arty and used photos of the people who are important to her and other things she, she likes to do and put it on five nice pages and, and printed it out in A3 document and and it's now sitting in her room and it, it guides her and helps her throughout her campaign in good and bad times. And I think that's so crucial. And I encourage everyone to have something similar, whatever that looks like. It doesn't need to be as perfect or as beautiful as Sefi's, but it can be, yeah, just something you look at every day and remind yourself where you want to go and what's important to you and get distracted a bit less because that's the tricky part in, in modern times. Too much information, too many options. <laughs> yeah. You just touched on athlete-centered or player-centered, which is really cool. What does that mean to you? It means working alongside the player or the athlete, making plans together, asking for consent as well when you bring stuff up or share with other people. It also means raising self-awareness and for me and and transferring that accountability 
So it's not me as a coach always saying, hey, wait, why haven't you done your workout or why haven't you done that? They want to be their best. So it's on them as well to hold themselves accountable. And yes, at times you have to jump in and, and ask their question, but really it's it's up to them. And when you link it to their goals and their vision, it needs to be clear to them that it comes down to them to put in the work in and ask for help and um and not so much the uh the coach telling them everything they need to do like they're not most high performance athletes they're not kids anymore but they're adults and they know what they want and they know what they like so it's best to uh listen to them and hear what what makes them the best version of themselves cool and and i heard you mention before around as a coach you push or you pull so the coaches and athletes out there and parents out there that are listening, in terms of push, it means just like the coach saying everything. Um, and But then there's the opposite of like when we pull from the athletes, we ask questions to be able to gain information, like gain that understanding from the athletes. That's just sort of a little bit of language that mm. coaches use, just so everyone understands that. But yeah, like there is that fine balance of how much you push on athletes and then how much you pull for them just mm. to get the information and, and what where they want to go and what they want to do so that you can help them, guide them. And yeah, no, that's awesome, mate. So almost finishing up, I've got one more question for you. What does the value of sport mean to you? Yeah, brilliant question. I think sport is everything for me. Um, but I also realized that it's only, I think Amber put it beautifully, it's only a vehicle. Uh, but still, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's why I'm here today. I feel a sport. It's why I try to get better every day is it taught me all my lessons in life together with the financial markets but the losses I went through and uh, the wins and uh, the the friends I made and the adventures I'm sharing and um, when I'm having a bad day if I go outside that's that's the value of sport to me and um, sport is connecting uh, no matter what color or background or language or uh, no matter how rich or poor you are like there's games and and sports you just play together and um, that's the beauty and the value of sport to me and it can yeah I don't know it's it's liberating and and it means so much for a lot of people and it keeps us fit and healthy and um, yeah and it's something something we can do and share and it, for me personally like that's when i'm in the flow at times when i'm surfing and then when i'm what doing awesome mountain biking or skiing and it's hard to replicate in other things in life like you, you just have those moments when you ski some powder or some have an awesome wave and and you kick out or you finish your run and you're like oh that's mind-blowing like it's hard to describe and you have that big smile on your face and and that's why we really do it and that's what you want in life and those exciting moments and and and, and seeing people enjoying it and, and being at their best, yeah. Awesome, mate. Danke schön. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bitte schön. <laughs> Love throwing back to my third form uh, German. Mate, powerful messages in there. Amazing story. I absolutely love this whole time we've been chatting here. It's just been incredible. So um, thank you so much for sharing with us. And I hope a lot of people out there get something out of this today. It's just been awesome. So thank you very much for taking the time to have a chat. We appreciate it a lot. No, thanks for having me, Wade. I'm looking forward to listening to more awesome podcasts in in Tarafati. And um, I'm here if if anyone wants to reach out or help or get support or even sharing ideas and knowledge. I'm, I'm always here and happy to chat coaching in life. Mm -hmm.